So um, today we are joined by the wonderful Jordan Dixon, who um, I am a huge fan of your work. Stop it. (laughs) Um, I met Jordan when I was one of the Fortune Theatre 4x4 um, emerging playwright people, and he directed a little play that I wrote called Mm -hmm. The Squatter, which Mm. was about an abortion. (laughs) We could say. Yeah, it it was a good play about an abortion. Oh, well, it was good because you directed it. Oh, it was a team effort. Um, We had a lot of fun and um, stayed in touch and talk about lots of artsy things when we hang out. And um, today he's come on the show to talk with us a bit about the Fortune Theatre and what's going on there. Um, So, yeah, um, as I... So you also have um, a degree from the University of Otago. You studied... Yes, I'm a, I'm a media film communication theatre grad. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, so all, all over all over the arts in that way, I suppose. Yeah. All over the arts. Mm-hmm. Hashtag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because you direct and do you, you do other... Uh, I direct, I um, produce, and my role at The Fortunes, I was working there full-time um, in uh, marketing in front of house. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of, that's been my, my like, career, I suppose, in the theatre, has been um, lots of that marketing publicity side, and then I suppose my art is my directing. Got it. Mm. Cool. Got it. Yeah. So do you want to, like, tell us a little bit about what on earth has been going on we announced on air some weeks ago that the fortune theater had suddenly closed up shop um yeah and, and that's pretty accurate so it's been it's been over a month now which both feels um like not long enough and it feels like it was a million years ago mm-hmm. um so on the on the first of may after 44 years fortune theater um officially shut its doors um i was on staff at the time so there was 11 11 permanent staff um on uh, working at the at the theater at that time, um, and we had a surprise staff meeting on a Tuesday morning at nine, and we're all out of the building by eleven o'clock that day. Oh my gosh! And and so wound up uh, mm. one of one of the country's oldest arts institutions. Um, I think maybe the oldest professional theater in the country now. Um, uh, uh, five years ago, ba- uh, Downstage Theatre in Wellington closed. At the time, it was the oldest. Mm. Um, and then I think Fortune Theatre, who has, um, for those who don't know, is currently or was based in uh, Trinity Church on the corner of Morrow Place and Stewart Street, had been there for 40 years. Um, originally started down in the Octagon 45 years ago um, in the what is now the New Athenaeum Theatre. Mm. Um, at the time, it was just the Athenaeum. Um, and a, a real grassroots organisation started by artists for artists who got together, got their shit together, and and started a professional company, um, which had such a rich legacy. Always challenging times, of course, um, but really, really valued not just in Dunedin but nationally as well mm. um, as one of our key main stage theatres. Um, uh, and uh, I mean, and I've said this to lots of people over the last month that I feel like the announcement from May first could have happened this year. It could have happened five years ago. It could have happened twenty years ago, and it, it did actually. Um, uh, lots of people don't realise that the Fortune has closed multiple times in its forty-four mm. years. Um, one of those times, the when there was a company of actors working on working at the theatre, they sacked the board and took it over themselves. 
Um, they've done all sorts of crazy fundraising things to get them out of trouble. Um, and then I believe it was in 2000 or 2001, um, came to the brink of closure and then sold the church that the theatre was housed in to the Dunedin City Council. Um, and that was kind of the last, the last really big asset the theatre had um, to get itself out of a hole. Um, but sadly, tarted us over for 18 more years, which mm. I, I do think is really impressive. Yeah. Um, but not quite enough. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Do you think this sort of history of closing and opening, do you think that that sort of signals that there might be hope for it to open again? Um, it's my feeling that the the businesses that it wouldn't open again, um, it's mm-hmm. been signalled really strongly from... Uh, so the uh, the Fortune's key funder, Creative New Zealand, funded was funding the theatre to the tune of half a million dollars a year, um, which I believe made up about a kind of half to a third of its total revenue annually. Um, and they have been signalling, um, not explicitly, but I think if you read between the lines, that um, repertory theatre, like the Fortune was, um, it's an expensive business and it is not a particularly future-proof model, particularly in a city of 120,000 people mm. um, with a transient population of kind of 10,000 students who leave every 12 mm. weeks to go back home. Um, so having those 11 staff as well as paying a lease on a theatre and a workshop and a rehearsal room and a wardrobe um, and all of those kind of day-to-day costs Um, is really, really, really hard to sustain, Mm. Um, particularly when so much of our arts funding in this country is uh, project-based. You know, it's to pay people and build sets and print posters. Um, It's not for hugely exciting things like paying for your photocopier bill or, Mm. like, getting the mould out of your uh, organisation's office or anything like that. Or, like, heating the building. Or heating the building, which is, I mean, massively expensive. Um, And I suppose that kind of a, a big key part of the puzzle is that building that so much of Dunedin recognises and lots love um, but has some real challenges um, particularly for, for an older audience having toilets down the back down some windy stairs and it's too cold in winter and it's too hot in summer um, and, and as, as challenging as a 150 year old church could be I suppose hmm yeah. Yeah, so in our previous discussions you and I have talked quite a bit about like the the dream of like a a space being built that's really fit for purpose. Mm. Um because the the fortune as a space was not in a lot of ways. Um Yeah, I mean at at 230 seats it's a really good capacity um mm. for Dunedin, I believe, you know, potentially we could look at something a little bit bigger. Um but yeah, had a lot of challenges that were really um, held it in the past, I suppose, um, that it's not, you know, a lovely modern flexi-form theatre. Um, Auckland Theatre Company have just built their um, ASB Waterfront Theatre, which is this gorgeous space, um, much, much easier to run, much easier to work in. It's really comfortable and it's got, like, a lovely bar and all of that. Um, and those are the things that... Um, professionals like working on the show and audiences like being comfortable when they come to see the show and it makes it a lot easier a much easier space to to work in and build connection with people um, if you're you know feel at home and not uncomfortable I suppose um, mm-hmm. as well as allows for some probably more like innovative work um, so the fortune is a 
It's a proscenium arch theatre, meaning it's your classic. It's got like a, a quite literal arch over the front of the stage and the action happens behind that arch and you sit in the audience and watch whatever is happening in that frame, um, which is lovely and lots of work we've seen in New Zealand is that kind of cross-arch style, but it is a bit old-fashioned and it's not, you know, in the round or, you know, your audience is moving about or you're building crazy sets that extend out into the theatre. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty limiting, which is why, um, and I know that um, lots of people have talked about you know, the, the Sammy's refurbishment that might happen, or might not, we'll see. Mm. Um, building a purpose-built, flexi-form black box space um, that could serve not only the theatre community, but dance community, and could host travelling comics, and you know, huge-scale musicals, and music, and gigs, and whatever else might come to town. Um, that a theatre in a church on Stuart Street probably isn't gonna handle so well yeah yeah so do you think that this whilst it's you know obviously really sad and really hard for for people who had shows coming up and of course for all the staff and things do you think that this could be an opportunity mm. um, that could be really utilized to create something quite special and future-proofed as i think you referred to it as yeah 100 percent. um i think uh, uh i personally have a lot of issue with um how quickly it happened and that it was such a surprise and such a shock and that there wasn't an opportunity for the theatre to communicate to the city and the region. I mean, we are um, uh, outside of the court theatre based in Christchurch, the only other professional theatre in South Island. Um, so a huge community of people to service who kind of got no explanation really uh, about why this has happened. Mm. Um, but I'm and this is kind of blue sky thinking in a year we will look back and go wow we've got hopefully this fantastic new venue on the way all these refurbishments underway and we're not sinking half a million dollars every year into uh, uh, as well as you know what the other key funders um dcc and otago community trust who also um sponsor the theater to the tune tens of thousands a year um not sinking that money into um supporting a business rather than making art um, yeah. Yeah. Or supporting like a aging building, mm. you know, like with with all due respect to the electricity company, <laughs> maybe not funneling a lot of money there, and instead, yeah, putting that money into productions and into creatives' pockets and uh, exactly. And it is um, it is really challenging to run both the venue and the production company. Um, I mean, you're looking at one is quite clearly a business. You host performances, make money to support yourself and bring in the next show. And one is, I mean, if you're looking at the big companies in the country, publicly funded probably, and it's about creating creating art and supporting artistry. And they have really different KPIs to hit and trying to hit all of those with a team of 11 people in a really small centre like Dunedin that's a hell of a challenge yeah yeah well and to some extent like i still think that capitalism sort of kills art mm. Mm. like it they the two just don't they're not natural bedfellows no <laughs> no by any stretch of the imagination so yeah it's like that it just gets spread a little thin trying to meet the imperatives of profit and mm. then at the same time do work that is innovative and challenging and interesting and 
mm. and pushing edges in the way that theater, I think, in many instances, ought to do. I don't go to the theater. Like, I to be physically comfortable in the theater would be really nice. Because mm. um, I was, was going to say, I don't go to the theater to be comfortable. But then I remembered what you'd said before, and I was like, well, I wouldn't mind being, like, you know... Physically comfortable. Physically comfortable. Because that's the best state you can be in, to be challenged... You know, intellectually or emotionally or ideologically. Yeah. Um, mm. If you're in a space that you feel welcome to, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So you talked to me a bit about like a profit share model in Wellington, and they have like a drive-through, like a warehousey space that you can actually drive into. Oh, uh, yeah. So a couple of different things there. Um, the drive-through warehouse space. So I suppose the the potentially the, the most similar situation we could be in now um, is what the court theatre in Christchurch faced um, after the Christchurch earthquakes. They were originally based in the art centre in the centre of the city um, in another beautiful old building um, that um, I'm sure their patrons, like our patrons, had great uh, fondness for. Um, but again, was another ageing venue. Um, they're now based uh, in what was... Um, it's it's a warehouse, I think it used to be a grain store or something. Um, this huge building which has a bar in the middle of it, your main stage that seats I think about 400 off to one side, the secondary rehearsal space is off at the other side, the workshop is out the back of the theatre, build your set and wheel it in. It's a, I know that what they moved into is a, is a space that is really fit for purpose and really suits their needs, um, which I'm sure at the time of the earthquakes it seemed a million miles away. Um, but ultimately the venue they got out of was, was really brilliant um, the property model in Wellington which again is potentially something that could emerge from this scenario um, that's uh, Bats Theatre which I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with um, who is it's a really accessible space to get into for artists there's very little upfront cost they take a bit of your box office um, they're invested in the project as well um, and then the basement theatre in Auckland have also taking that model and kind of run with it and are doing all sorts of um, brilliant education initiatives and again connecting with their community and building community um, I've uh, last week or maybe the week before I was up at uh, in Wellington for every year Creative New Zealand runs a conference called Nui Te Kororo, um for arts producers, makers arts hosts from across the country um, and, and both uh, Jacinda Ardern and Kath Cardiff who was the senior manager, uh, manager of development I think it was Jacinda <laughs> <laughs> and Jacinda um, uh, and they were both talking about how um, arts uh the, the, from the research that's coming out at the moment, they've just done this, this huge, um, I think they do it every three years, survey. Um, uh, what is the feedback they're getting is that arts events and cultural events are places for people to make connection and come together and socialise, um, not just to consume a performance or take part in a performance, but really about connecting with the community. And that is something that I know the, the basement is doing really well and Bats does really well. Um, and it's something that in the wake of something quite awful a month ago, hopefully is, is what we're looking at in Dunedin. We have a lovely community, but nothing, I think, pulls community together quite like a little bit of tragedy, I suppose. 
which is a yeah. poof. shock a shock and grief really do yeah because i mean we've we've lost something massive mm. and and it came quite as a, quite as a surprise mm. so yeah i think that is that's the sort of shock that uh, impact that has real momentum mm. and like sets other things into motion 100 percent um i in the over the last few weeks um uh, um, I've been involved with this as have lots of the other professional theatre makers in Dunedin um, uh, coming together to join a group called Stage South. Uh, so Stage South have been active in Dunedin for over a decade now I believe but are really coming together at this time to advocate for specifically professional theatre in Dunedin. Um, we have such a vibrant and active um, community theatre scene on campus. Our university theatre, Allen Hall, is packed uh, is packed with a performance every single week. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the closure directly impacts those sorts of organisations. We're thinking about uh, the Globe and the Playhouse, uh, the Fire Station Theatre out of Mosgiel. Um, there's some kind of, you know, auxiliary effects on them. But what we're really talking about looking after is the professional theatre in the Lower South Island. Right. People who have made this, it is their career, it's how they make their money, it's what they've invested, you know, their life's work into perfecting. Yeah. Um, and how do we keep those artists in Dunedin while we wait for whatever comes next I suppose mm. yeah mm. yeah I'm just thinking about how it was you know sort of came as a surprise and a shock and how you found out in that really awful way mm. Mm. and I think you know financial troubles don't start overnight so I guess how do you think it could have been handled differently in a way that sort of prepared the community or allowed the community to respond maybe fundraising or whatever like how could that have been done differently do you yeah think? i mean it's a really good question um i at the core of it it's at there's some cash flow problems always are and mm -hmm. if someone had you know popped out of the woodwork and said hey here's a million dollars do what you want with it Mm -hmm. um, Is everyone listening? <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you want to, please contact me. Um, <laughs> but is that is that really fixing the core of the issue, or is it just tiding something over? Mm -hmm. um, and I suspect it was probably tiding something over um, mm -hmm. to its inevitable end. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, a you know, with all of that forty-four years of legacy comes 44 years worth of baggage um, with it uh, and even uh, you know how the theatre is how the theatre's management is structured who works there, how does the board work who is part of that board um, you know those are kind of all institutional problems that uh, you know didn't again didn't start overnight but mm. wasn't able to be changed fast enough yeah, so maybe some more transparency, you know, when these problems started to look pretty serious mm. with the community and then sort of, you know, take it from there rather than just wham, bye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I mean, as someone who works there, I I couldn't even tell you when, when did the problems get serious, when were they okay? I mean, all I know, I know 2012 was a really good year, um, but I suspect there were problems before then and there were problems after as well. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Somebody, yeah. somebody had a good year in 2012. Oh, it was a great year for I, the theatre. Uh, what happened in 2012? Oh, did, what some, shows did some good plays. Um, I don't even remember what was on in 2012. I was 
I was in high school. I must have seen lots of oh them. Oh my goodness. Um, but everyone, uh, uh, you know, on, on the books, we look at 2012 as a really great year. Um, there were some great plays that were supposed to be up this year. Some really brilliant plays. Um, during winter, actually opening later this month, was meant to be a new production of Macbeth with a company of five actors um, who then would be going directly into the next show, a totally new adaption of Hansel and Gretel, um, mm. written and directed by Benjamin Henson, who... Uh, he came down south last year to do Fortune's Twelfth Night, which was really, really well received and pretty. I think I saw Twelfth Night. That was over the top. It right? was pretty remarkable. It was really it was something. A... Jaunty was in that, right? Yes, yeah, yeah he that was. That was such an excessive, wild ride. I can never understand the script in Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't really know what any of y'all are saying, but. I get it. But you get it. Uh, and and uh, like amazing production with like modern music thrown in and all sorts of like weird anachronistic props and costume choices and, and a really remarkable set as well. Great use of the space. Mm. Like they found a way to take this very traditional theater space and make it pop. Mm. 100%. And uh, yeah, I'm really sad I will never see Ben's Hansel and Gretel. Mm. Um, so he's not found an alternative venue here? Not that I know of. Because mm. that was something shame. they said too, that all of the people who had found alternative venues and that came out in the newspaper, and I thought, well, that was quick. Yeah, so over the last month, we had, we were meant to have three different touring productions coming into the space. Um, so I know that uh, Red Leap Physical Theatre Company from Auckland, they popped over to the Logan Park Auditorium, um, and we also had Rollicking Entertainment and their Seven Deadly Stunts, and Arcade Theatres, the first time, um, both found homes at the Athenaeum. Oh, the, sorry, the new Athenaeum um, in the Octagon. So those guest shows have found new homes. Um, the Fortune-produced shows, so uh, that's Macbeth, Hansel and Gretel, and the touring production of Astro Man, which, a little bit of a side note, but is the best New Zealand script I have read uh, like in a year um, it's remarkable Court Theatre is still producing it that show is meant to come to Dunedin if you've got an opportunity and I think it must be October, November to get to Christchurch and see Astro Man it's remarkable um, those, so those shows will not go on in Dunedin anymore they don't have a, a team around them um, so I suppose in the short term that's a real loss um, the, there's a couple of things that have risen from the ashes. Um, we were able to maintain the 4x4 Emerging Playwrights program. Um, Alan Hall very generously hosted us on campus here, and we showed uh, four new short works by Emerging Dunedin Playwrights um, produced by professional directors and actors. Um, it's a the program's been running for eight years now, so we're really, really thrilled to be able to salvage that, which was in its seventh week. <laughs> And then of, we had of a like surprise 10 weeks, of 10 right? weeks. Yeah. yeah, so like well into the process. Um, but we had uh, four brilliant playwrights this year who were quite happy to come along for the ride and very trustingly um, stayed with that. Uh, and the other show that we are hoping to say, um, it's a production I'm involved in called Eloise in the Middle, um, which is by local playwright uh, Emily Duncan, and it is. Um, award-winning script, never been produced about a seven-year-old and a, um, called Eloise who goes to visit her dad in Wellington for the first time since her parents' divorce 
um, I've been saying that it's a story about divorce with all the insight and oversight of a seven-year-old. Mm. And it's beautiful, a beautiful production that uh, Emily has been... Um, it, we've been ex- working on that together to extend it um, and produce that show hopefully October this year. It's like secret insider scoop. Um, broadcast on live radio. <laughs> broadcast on live radio. Gorgeous. Um, but outside of that, I suppose that's the year is, is kind of lost, which is a real shame. It's a lot of activity for the city to lose. Yeah. Mm. Well, what, what on earth are people to do with their time? What are they to do with their time? I have no idea. I mean, I, well, I suppose that's one of the other challenges, is that there is so much to do with your time in such a small city. I love that Dunedin ignores the fact that it's really just a big town. <laughs> but yeah. there is, like, you know, amazing restaurants to visit, and there's brilliant gigs on every, like, God, nearly every day of the week. Um, I should get a list of excellent restaurants from you because my list is like five <laughs> restaurants long. Uh, I, I like to think it might be a, a hobby. Me and my flatmate were talking about this the other day. Can going to cafes be a hobby? Mm, I think so. I think so. Yeah, you put it on your CV. Oh, you know totally. the hobby section on the CV? <laughs> no, I... <laughs> People put like reading and travel. And I love spending time with friends. Spending time with friends, yeah. Right. Going to cafes. There's a mm-hmm. hobby section on a CV. It's a thing. They, some companies want to know about you. What do you like to do in your spare time? Ooh. I don't have spare time. Well I only work. Yeah. When I'm not working, I shut down. I push the off button, <laughs> and then I don't know what happens because my brain isn't working. <laughs> yeah, I have skipped the hobby section on my CV. I, I came straight out of my degree here, straight into the fortune. Mm. So I'm in this process of applying for jobs for the first time, which is weird. Yeah, and that's yeah, sad. Some of them asked, they're like, what are your hobbies? And I'm like, I just did theatre. <laughs> sometimes it paid and sometimes it didn't, and that was my life. But, like, please have me on your organisation. I, I would be thrilled. <laughs> yeah. Mm. That's quite the predicament. It's something I, it's gotten me thinking. So I wrote a piece for the ODT, and I mentioned in it the Tannery Art Centre in Santa Cruz, and it's something my brain keeps looping back to in all of this because... What the Tannery Arts Center did was they um, converted like what had been an unusable space in a kind of central location in town, and they built like several hundred units, 182 seat theater, art gallery on site, and um, and made it low income housing for artists. So you had to prove that you were a creative um, and like at a you know committed professional level with your art, and then. Um, you had to kind of give proof of what your income was, and then you'd pay sort of sliding scale rent. Santa Cruz, mind you, is in the top three most expensive places to live in the U.S. It's ex- it's absolutely over the top. Mm. I think it's like the second most expensive place to live. Um, and so average rent for a one-bedroom apartment is going to be in excess of like 1500 U.S. Per, um, per month. Oh. Per Per month. Yeah, 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 sorry. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 1500 per month. And you could get a comparable space at the tannery for as low as 430 Wow. So it was, um, and, and a nicer, I mean, kind of an industrial sort of style space mm. and like a little bit corporate feeling, but like quite new, like 1500 for a place in Santa Cruz would be quite a rundown right. <laughs> space. Yeah. And so... 
yeah, a comparable space outside of that kind of scheme would be well over 2000 a month. In any case, it was a really good deal. And of course, there's no, like, from what I experienced, there was, it was such a strong community. And so I'm starting to think more actively about, like, you know, because the arts, they need support. And people who make art need, um, need support to be able to, you know, be viable and um, and do what they're going to do and not have to, like, aim t- towards the same... I don't know. I just think it, it's a good way to level the playing field and make a, a really sincere gesture that, that brings artists and promotes creativity and, you know, people don't have to work as much as their day job if they have so much less to pay in rent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the results out of this, um, this three-yearly survey, it's called Audience Atlas, and that's incredible. You can find the art info on the Creative New Zealand website, is that something like 98% of New Zealanders... Um, would say that they are passionate and proud of the arts in this country, um, which is lovely. Um, but then, why do so many of our artists have to work in cafes and supermarkets and offices yeah. and rehearse, you know, for free for four hours at night? Yeah. It, like it's really it's challenging to be an artist. Yeah. Well, uh, and if you look at mo- like Norway, like I love Norwegian pop and music and things like that and every time I listen I'm just like you know there's a there's like a slew of for instance female artists who have been international award winning artists by the time they're like 25 are doing astonishing work when they're 19 and 20 years old why because the arts actually get money Mm. there Mm. Um, you know if if New Zealanders really want to support the arts like there's a there's a dollar sign on that Mm, there is but what it does for communities is like you know you give an artist a dollar and like your community is going to get a hundred dollars in. And that's the other thing that I, I don't know if um, I suppose most of the population realise is if you look at uh, even directly comparing sports and arts, um, attendance and arts many 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 times higher income from arts many 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 times higher and yet we have so much national pride attached to our sports achievements mm. um i don't think we're really as a as a nation cognizant of the of the physical value of arts not just like they make us feel good and we like getting on stage and kind of that more ephemeral stuff but dollars and cents what is it worth hell of a lot more than i think we realize hmm mm. And we did used to have, uh, this is something we were talking about at this conference, um, the name escapes me because it's a little bit before my time, but a a government benefit for artists. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so set up very much like the unemployment benefit, um, run through wins. Maybe that's not the ideal and it wasn't the uh, it wasn't a perfect scheme, but you could prove you were creating art and working in the arts and culture segment um, and they would pay you a benefit to pay your rent and your bills and you know you had your days free to pursue career um you know and it, it wasn't a hell of a lot and there was a time limit on how long you could be on the scheme and you know but it was better than nothing it was better than nothing <laughs> and exactly. an acknowledgement at least to that making art is valuable uh, yeah yeah 100 percent. and mm. you know now there's talk about you know should we be investigating something like this again in 2018 and and I do hope it's a conversation that gets carried forward. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways to do it, you know, but 
but what matters is that it gets done and that for me I'm interested in in ways that support individual artists but also like ways of really creating community around the arts and bringing people together um, whether it's artists coming together to collaborate or people coming together to engage with the arts in new and interesting ways um, yeah it's just it's it's so time for that mm, oh 100% and at a even right up to the governmental level that is what has been really well supported is how do we um, create art that is cross-platform, cross um, what do you call it? Cross-form, you know, where does dance meet theatre and where does theatre meet music meet, um, you know, craft and object art, how do they all play together and I think that we live in a, an interesting time of, of change and it's really great to see our national um, sponsors mm. backing that sort of work Mm. Um, yeah, as well as, uh, of course, announced a couple of weeks ago this new $5 million um, fund to engage young people in the arts. Um, so $5 million available over the next five years to support. Um, I, the the specifics are still a little bit, they're still hashing them out, but to support youth, which could be right up to 24, mm. um, not just attending the arts, but really engaging with them in a meaningful way as as a way to engage with their community. Which in our digital age sound like a baby boomer is really important, I think. Absolutely. Mm. I think it's time to take a little bit of a tune break. So to our lovely listeners, um, you have been listening to your friendly neighborhood feminists. Times three. Times <laughs> three. We're joined today in the studio by Jordan Dixon, who's telling us all about um, the local predicament of theater in Dunedin. So stay tuned for some tunes, and we'll be back chiming in your ears in just a minute. We're back. It's your friendly, favorite, fluffy, fuzzy neighborhood feminists on Radio Fun. Oh my God, that's so cheesy, but it never gets old. (laughs) (laughs) It never gets old. Um, With Lily and Blythe. And this week we have a spectacular guest star, Jordan Dixon, who Mm -hmm. is um, talking with us about the fortune and related topics. Um, So we were going to gab about the... AGM. At the AGM, yes. So what does that stand for? Uh, annual General Meeting. Okay. So as every, I believe every trust and every charitable trust have to have a public meeting every single year where they vote on things like who's on the board, I don't know, ratify the minutes from last year, look at the budget, lots of those kind of, um, I don't know, accountability, public accountability bits mm-hmm. and pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course the Fortune Trust's AGM last week um, after deciding to close the theatre three weeks earlier, it was probably a little bit more um, dramatic. Dramatic and exciting than um, any AGM I've been to so far. Um, uh, where they moved and it was it was passed to dissolve that trust, I suppose, is, is the big news out of that. The business and the trust being separate entities. Um, business being shut down by the board, but the board deciding to actually dissolve themselves um, was kind of the big takeaway from that. So, um, public meeting, 100 people attended. Um, the board did tick their legal box and advertise it in the ODT two weeks before. Um, some people thought that wasn't enough. Um, you know, where was the email or the newsletter or the media release? Um, I think it's pretty clear why why they may have tried to um, mm. slip that under the radar. Um, 
but there again still 100 people I went last year and there was like 30 of us um, it was yeah lots of high emotions lots of questions for that board um, about why they were acting in a way that the audience perceived to be deceptive um, and to be honest not a hell of a lot of answers um, but but I suppose the the that resolution to dissolve the trust um, can't be ratified in the same meeting mm. um, so anyone who is interested and would like to um, uh, ask some questions and maybe get some answers um, there has to be a second meeting um, to ratify that uh, between 28 days and 42 days after last Thursday's meeting so we're kind of at least three weeks out it's a bit of a watch this space watch for this the space. one ad, maybe. Exactly. Blythe, I would pay money to see you walk in there and ask <laughs> pointed questions. Like, I've always wanted to see you in action when you've got your, like, full in sass action. on. Yeah, there's another side to me. The side I bring to the radio is the friendly side. <laughs> she's got teeth. She just hides them behind full lips, <laughs> but she's got teeth. Well, someone did move at that meeting that uh, there needed to be a both an email newsletter, the ad in the ODT, and a media release um, distributed. So I suspect we will we'll hear a little bit more about the next meeting. Good. Um, I hope they've got a big venue. It's a time for people to sort of hear their grievances, and it's sort of part of the the process of moving forward too, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like if we want to start something new, something fresh, and bring a really positive energy to that you know, there really does need to be an opportunity for people to say what they want to say and then that can be sort of, I don't know, some closure, I mm. guess, for people so yeah, that I mean, they can move forward in a positive way. It's like working through grief. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You, you know, and, and I think it's totally fair that the community needs, like, an outlet. Yeah, they're feeling a sense of loss and there mm. needs to be a way to, I guess, express that. And so, yeah, creating a space for people to do that, yeah, I it, think it's a good idea. Something I wonder about, just to loop back to a second, to, like, the transparency issue and, like, the last advert for the AGM being quite quiet mm -hmm. and the sense of deception, like, I'm just, I'm so horribly naive, but there's this part of me that's like, why, why can't they, like, why can't an organization like this be like, okay, here is a real blow-by-blow of you know of, of what's happened mm -hmm. i mean it would have begun a long time ago with more transparency from the get go but to be able to say we we stand by the decisions we made here's an account for why we made those decisions mm. and here is as much information as we can provide so that the community can learn from this mm. and answer their questions and move forward like it's it really sort of stumps me why people like are they ashamed of themselves yeah in their why decision? can't they just tell the story like yeah why can't they just be really open and transparent about what's happened it just it creates suspicion and resentment and mm. and all these sorts of things and so i just don't fully understand it yeah a, a lot of that is probably to do with the the nature of that board rolling over um every pretty much every year someone comes on someone leaves um and while I do not at all agree with the process in which they close the theatre, yeah. um, I don't necessarily have issue with the decision itself. Yeah. Um, and you know, if it was a different board, maybe they wouldn't have closed it. But if the if 
that if those board members had continued to let the business run um and there's a word for this but i'm not a lawyer so i don't remember it it, um it did continue to let it run as an insolvent company um they are then liable for any debt incurred by that business and to be fair i wouldn't want to put up my hand for a a theater's worth of debt um yeah so i suppose i understand that maybe don't do it in such a shocking way plus Mm. i mean they inherited whatever was left by the previous board and not sustainable business i guess exactly yeah it it happens a lot and not just in this setting but it's about fairness of process not necessarily fairness of outcome and so why the outcome might not feel fair if you've made the process fair people are a lot more willing to accept it exactly and would have had the time to put in place something for the next iteration i suppose but i mean part of it is um i went looking for a a script for a kids show i'm looking to produce that couldn't find anywhere on my personal computer because it's on my work computer somewhere little things like that that would make moving forward so much easier all those contacts and relationships that have kind of been shattered because of the central hub of communication um Mm. everyone's a little bit lost Mm. because it happened so quickly Mm. give us a month and maybe we'd be in a very different situation Mm. absolutely Mm. given being given two hours to wrap everything up, cancel a year's worth of billing, and like, and then just pack up and go Try home. Try and come terms with it. Yeah. Like what? I'd be like, give me two hours to cry, mm. and then give me the rest of the freaking day. Mm. Yeah, I was like, it's like being in the middle of a bad '90s movie with the corporate takeover. I did not expect to to come across that situation and in the arts yeah um and in saying that it is not the only time it's happened we've had um mercury theater in auckland that's how that closed down i believe in the 90s um downstate theater in wellington closed in similarly dramatic circumstances i think um but it's like a surreal experience mm. um yeah frantically emailing and then mm. crying, but not for too long because you're busy. And then <laughs> it's like, time it, to cry. accidentally yell at someone and then and then take yourself off to the pub at 11 o'clock. Cause Sounds stressful and sad and frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Frustrating is probably the... That's the one I keep coming back to. Mm. 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 Which could have been mitigated had there been that time to process that decision and that information presented earlier and more tactfully, exactly. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the the makeup of that board um, is, you know, they're, uh, they're wonderful corporate business leaders who are accountants and lawyers and fabulous professions who maybe just didn't understand the weight and enormity of what they were doing it's not Mm. like shutting down at night and day or something losing your job sucks but it's losing your your work and your title community (laughs) yeah and relationships and all of that that is so much more than a paycheck and the paycheck's important but you know uh for, for me it was a year and a half worth of creating art in that building yeah. yeah, there's a humanity and a soulfulness and a, a meaning to it. Mm. Um, it's such... I mean, it's the sort of career path that, like, you don't take for money. You take because 
your heart's in it. And um, theater is not something that you go to because it's going to make you a richer person or it's going to teach you how to be a better capitalist. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, like you don't walk in there for corporate tutorial 101 or like an HR consultancy. Like you go in and and something human reaches out and touches the most human parts of us. And that's Im of immeasurable worth and value. So... I mean, to, to deprive people of that, it's a, it's a blow on, on quite a deep level. Oh, 100%. I mean, I know that, and I had like, you know, amazing highs and some really horrific lows working there. It's, it's a really challenging business to be in. Um, but always, always at the end of the day, I was just happy that my full-time job was my passion, even if it was pretty, like, pretty horribly underpaid. But it was, you know enough to pay bills and go do something you love every day mm. um yeah and, and losing that hurts mm. well here's hoping that something um viable and good comes into fruition in, in the next year or two i know they're doing multi-million dollar renovations along the waterfront and mm -hmm. like personally i'm i'm all for the creation of a new innovative multi-use space um, that's that's really accessible and central, so that people can go to dinner and go to a show, or be you know walk to the theater and yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's somewhere that is uh, accessible for artists, um, but not just financially, but is somewhere where they feel they can walk in and talk to whoever's running that and get their show up or their exhibition up or their gig on, and somewhere where. Um, the residents of Dunedin and visitors can come and uh, meet those artists, experience those productions, and build that community. I That's sort of, the dream. It is. Yeah. I sort of wonder, like, why there aren't theater spaces that have, like, large gallery spaces attached to them. Like, mm. it seems like a really natural pairing um, to have kind of, like, natural collaboration by proximity, where you can even get maybe artists that have never worked with another artist in in that space before and to know that people can go to a show and then there's actually like a productive interesting creative space for them to linger afterwards to talk with other people to meet other people and to like have this kind of like i don't know um inflected encounter with some other art mm. or something like how, how come that kind of thing isn't getting done mm. yeah and i mean i can't think of anywhere at least in this country where that is happening and yeah. hey maybe this is our chance to to be that leader nationally to build a you know maybe realize a an arts a really well-rounded arts center hub whatever you want to call it people talk about arts hubs all the time um hub is so hip and millennial <laughs> it so is but i don't think anyone's really done it um yeah. but maybe something like an arts hub as well as what we could be looking at in the future. Oh, I hope so. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with us. Thank you. Yeah, um, do keep us posted mm. about the happenings, and we'll announce things um, as they develop. So, yeah, and to our listeners, if you have any comments or thoughts and you want to text them in to 0212 Radio 1, um, and we'll bark at you on the airwaves. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, yeah, so uh, that's been Jordan Dixon with us in the studio.